Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. I'm so excited to introduce our first ever video course, the Creative Recovery Accelerator, or for ease, the CRA. What story do you tell yourself about your eating disorder? What feelings and emotions are you trying to avoid with your ED behaviors? How do you talk to your body? And what beliefs are you hanging on to to keep you where you are? The CRA will work on all ED and addictive behaviors. And wherever you are along your recovery journey, it will help you either stay on track, start or accelerate further. Make peace with yourself, shift your perspective and get well. I know how hard it is to let go of ED and addictive behaviors, which is why I've created the CRA, so we can help as many people as possible. Just visit lovethisfoodthing.com forward slash accelerator for all of the details. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. This is the final episode of season six, and I am delighted, beyond delighted, to be joined by Raina James of Reinstein. Raina has been a practicing astrologer for over 30 years. She likes to focus on the client's early life to explore later patterns in relationships, career choices, and well-being. There's always time to explore future events and choices too. There's no point taking a sombrero in the rain or a sou'wester in a heat wave. I'm quoting Raina. Raina also works with her husband as a musician and singer and is a published prize-winning novelist. Raina, welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast. Thank you, Gemma. And I was a little bit stuttery there because I was just going to throw that piece of paper away and say that Raina is one of the most important voices in my life. And I have known Raina for probably 20 years. I think maybe a bit more. Yeah. And who'd have thought that when I first had a session with you that we'd be sitting here in your beautiful home talking to each other for a, a podcast, my podcast. And Raina has this um, incredible take on life and an ability to translate mm, your own personality experiences and kind of put it in a, in a in a beautiful way to help you with your life. And so I feel very privileged that she's in my life. And I have I know many people who see Raina because Raina's just very very special. So I thought I'd put that out there before we start. Oh, Gemma, you're bigging me up, girl. I am, I'm bigging her up, I'm bigging her up. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, yes, so let's just start right away. Okay. How would you describe your relationship with food? Would you describe it as a friend or a foe? I would describe it always as a friend because yeah. I absolutely love it. But, obviously, uh, although... Uh, a piece of cheesecake has never actually got off the table and hit me on the nose. There have been times where it has also been a foe, uh, as in I don't have it or have to lock it away or not buy it or approach it with such caution that um, it ceases to be oh, what it is and becomes something imbued with um, imbued with a kind of power that I don't really like. So that's complicated, isn't it? But friend and foe. Okay, not at all, not at all. I don't think that's very complicated. I'm curious that you've had to lock it away and question it and that you are 
now in the um how do you how would you beautifully describe someone who's older in the in the pastures in the green pastures of their life rather than kind of like in the autumn autumn years yeah autumn years yeah yeah do you you still have some of that dialogue in your head about do you still lock food away well, it's not now. It's not locked food away because ah. I've got arthritis. Right. So I'm on a diet which helps me enormously not to get inflammation in the joints. Okay. So some food now uh, I just don't eat because why would I? Because it would make me feel not very well. So in the past it used to be don't put it in the fridge, don't put it in the cupboard, right. and that way. And then after an awful lot of therapy, it stopped being that. And now it's a very different kind of control. Control, but I'm very aware, very conscious that it's still a control. Uh, things that if I eat them, I will not be well, therefore I don't eat them. But I hanker sometimes. It, that's okay though, isn't it? Isn't that just normal part of being alive and yeah. normal and yeah. wanting things and not having them or not letting you have something, letting yourself have something? Perfectly put. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't see that as an issue. I don't. And I think also... Some of us, if you've been in an, in an extreme state with it all, particularly around I am restricting food or overeating, you kind of think, well, I'm going to get to this place of nirvana. It's all going to disappear. Yes. It doesn't. It's just you yeah. dial the voices down. Yeah. And they can all have a say. Yeah. And just the process of them having a say is enough. Yes. Yeah. That's really absolutely how it is. Yeah. Except that there is this wonderful fantasy I have that if I don't die of anything gastric, I am taking a big old trolley round Waitrose and Are I'm you? just going to fill it up for my last week on earth. Please give me a timetable. And I'm going to pick myself out on all the things that um, I haven't been able to eat because I won't care. Oh, gosh, you won't care. What would you put in your trolley first Ooh, before we go? Cheesecake. Cheesecake. Always the first danger, cheesecake. So you can't have any dairy or sugar because dairy of the Dairy sugar and wheat. Uh, yeah, and potatoes, they're all the nightshade families, uh, okay. they're all inflamed. For me, for anyone else, but I'm not saying that's how to get rid of arthritis, but it's worked for me okay. a lot, it's helped a lot. But you're not in a, a state of craving, you're just saying sometimes you oh, hanker. Yeah. That's craving, no, I know craving, this ain't craving. Okay, okay. No. So, that's just, I was just, yeah, before we started, I was talking to Raina about that I've actually written some questions down, which I don't normally do. But just to kind of establish Raina, Raina is so experienced and her, the way she delivers her, mm, well, if you have a chart done with Raina or a reading, her delivery is, is something else. It's just always so lyrical, so clever, so intelligent, so intuitive. It really can set you on the right path. No, it's true. I've seen lots of people, lots of people. You're way up there. But just to establish you, and if anyone's going, oh yeah, astrology, what a load of old pants, <laughs> which is fine. Just turn this episode off. <laughs> um, just briefly, how did you become an astrologer? Uh I've always interested in it since I was a wee girl. And then this bloke, I have no idea what he looked like, his name or nothing, but mm. he came to my house when I was 20-something with some friends and he was American and he was an astrologer. Uh -huh. And uh, I didn't go to bed and we stayed up all night talking and I wrote page after page after page of notes and that was it. And it was that absolutely Pauline conversion. I went to the library next day, got out everything I could and that was it. Fate sealed. And I just carried on learning. Did he do your chart that night or did he just talk about... We just talked oh. about astrology. 
And and what did you love so much? Oh, um, I still do. Mm. Uh, the uh, the mystery, the symbolism, the beauty of the connection between planets and humans, the way that we've been given this. Well, I know that you know iridologists would say it's the eye, and 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 reflexologists would say it's the foot. Everybody yeah. has their map. Yeah. But for me, the sky is the most extraordinary map that gives us a sense of who we are, what's unfolding, the cycles of our lives. What a gift. And it's so beautiful. And the correspondences, as they're called in astrology, which are the things that connect to each sign and planet, are just wonderful. You know, if you start to think about the moon. Right, yeah. And, and you think about the tides. Yeah. And then pearls and then cheese and milk and uh, periods and uh, and on and on and on. Every planet, every sign has its resonances on in the physical world. What's the, the relevance of the pearls and the cheese? Do you mean that the moon is made they're of white. cheese? The moon oh, is obviously white. made of cheese, Gemma. <laughs> we all astrologers know that. <laughs> Cream cheese. Uh, yeah, cheese. Uh, it's white. It's white, it's, it's okay. White. Yeah, it's white. Pearls look like the moon. And things look like or, or feel like or... Mars rules iron mm-hmm. and weaponry and sharp things right, right. and men and uh, anything that is to do with um, muscle, okay. heart. So, yeah. This symbolic universe rather than this, yes, we believe it to be just this physical universe because yes. we're also attached yes. to the physicality of it. Yeah. And everything's moving all the time and yeah. Maybe we're just living in hallucination. <laughs> so very briefly, what's a sun sign? A sun sign is what we would commonly call a birthday. Okay. So uh, you and I are both Tauruses. Yeah. So when the sun is in Taurus, mm-hmm. we are will be having our birthdays and that's the Taurus sun sign period. Okay. Which is, it varies from year to year, but end of April to end, you know, 20th of April, 20th of May, 21st of May. When you do, when you do a birth chart, you always, or when you do a reading, you always, so my birthday is May the 1st, but it's always about my solar return, which begins on April the 30th. And it's always at a particular time. No. Okay. No, but <laughs> 20 years. I still don't know what's going on. Okay. <laughs> Either I'm a bad teacher or you're not no, no, listening. No, it's me. Trust okay. me, it's me. Uh, the solar return is the moment the sun comes back. If you have an accurate birth time. Oh, you need to know when you're, what time you're born, don't you? To get you? it really accurate. Yeah. It's the moment the sun comes back to where it was when you were born, because it will move a whole degree each day. Okay. So you want, if you if you know your absolute birth time, most people don't, but more or less, that will give you the degree and the minute that the sun is at at your birth. How are you able, because I remember that first session with you and we don't touch on it so much now, but how are you able to, well, you described my parents. Yeah. All of them so accurately. And I think you even touched on my grandparents. How are you able to decipher that? The parents on a chart are, this is very, very loosely yeah, said, be, okay? Yeah, loose. But the sun and the moon are the father and mother. Okay. And they are father and mother in their parental roles. Mars and Venus are, um, I don't know if this is all regularly taught this way, but certainly the way I do it. Mm. Mars and Venus are the male and female um, element of the parent, the father and the mother. Okay. 
And then it's down to your interpretation, isn't it? And if I've got the parents' birth dates, I always ask for those because I think they have a right to have their own voice. That if the parents' birth dates will also tell me about their parents and therefore your grandparents. Okay. And we could get back to Charles I. Could we? Oh, as long as you can give me grandparents upon grandparents and take them back hundreds of years, I'll keep telling you the links within your family chain, yeah. Wow, I didn't ever never knew that. I'm going to come to you next time with a huge More. list <laughs> of <laughs> times and birth dates. Okay. So brief, okay, that's the sun sign. The rising sign, my understanding, is that the sun sign is the sign. We talked about this just now and you went, no, and now I've forgotten. The sun <laughs> sign, the sun sign is your, how you are internally. Your rising sign is the character and personality that you show to the world. Yes. Again, it's very, very broad. Yeah. But the ascendant, I like to think of as the uh, shop window that you present. So if your ascendant is Aries, your shop window is likely to be quite, um, you know, hand banging the thigh. Hello, how are you today? Yeah. Uh, whereas if it's Pisces, as I always say, if you've got Pisces ascending or rising, uh, you may not even get to my house because you'll be wandering somewhere down the road thinking you've gone to Birmingham. So, <laughs> OK, so it varies according to your presenting um, okay. Your office. I see it always as the front office, the person at the desk going, well, hello. Ah. And how do they do it? Ah. But then the subtext of that is the planet that rules your rising sign. Right. Will be in another sign, probably, may not be in that particular sign. And that gives you a subtext. Okay. Okay. So in my case, I've got Capricorn rising. Saturn is in Leo. So I have a Capricorn Leo ambivalence which means something yeah that i don't understand Doesn't and we might matter. go back to it okay. but that's that's the that's the matter that you work with isn't yeah. it and then you interpret it and pull the threads together exactly or try yes and she does she does it brilliantly every time um uh, yeah we can use we can use me as an example um if mm. if someone came to you uh with the they, so this again is very loose and broad would 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 planets reveal someone's tendency towards addiction, obsession, compulsion, eating disorder behaviours, uh, all the isms and syndromes that we've named? Would, would that all be there? It would all be there, but you would have to be very careful as to how the person might have manifested that. So they might not have manifested it through food. They might have done it through sex or through gambling or through drugs or Mm -hmm. through... There's lots of different ways Mm -hmm. of um, running, are there not? So any different... A person will choose the way most appropriate, I believe, to their first years of life. When you say first years, do you mean... Naught to one, two, or do you mean to sort of six, seven? Um, I think probably naught to six, seven, but certainly, most importantly, one, two, uh, because of how they've been mothered and how they've been fed, and whether they were breastfed, whether they were bottle fed, whether they were fed by the parent, whether they were fed with care, fed neglectfully by somebody who was reading, shouting on the phone, watching telly. Was attention paid in those early years? So you're talking about an energetic imprint, yeah, within that naught one two year old. 
and also a physical manifestation because the feeling of being held will vary enormously from a mother who is um, involved and who is tuned in to the infant and the mother who isn't and who's careless. So the feeling on the body will be different as well as the energetic gift or lack of from the mother. Mm. Which isn't ever, ever about blame because the mother may have been distraught, depressed, ill. Um, incapable of feeding incapable. naturally. Yeah. Just not an option. Guilty. But it's not, we're not talking about blame or guilt or anything, Never are we? blame. No, never But we're blame. talking about how it then can manifest itself. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's fascinating. So, mm, because, was it Freud who said, and you can correct me, from sort of from naught to six, naught to seven, we're just like sponges. We pick up the whole, to use one of your phrases, the energetic soup of the household, whatever that household is. We just suck it all up. We suck it all up. But we don't know how to express it or be with it do we until later yeah if ever if, if ever i think that's a really valid point if ever not everyone not everyone stuff can bear to look i think for some people it's so frightening and uh, i don't remember now who said it to me but one of the wise mentors along the road said do be careful how you tear away defenses oh <gasps> i've just written a thing about defensive have you defensive defensive <laughs> disarm them gently Ah, because you can't pile in there, can you? No. Because if you take someone's defence away, they will turn around and kill you or collapse. Imagine it always in a physical way that you're ripping away yeah. the plaster from some hideous bloody wound. Yeah. Exposing it to lemon juice. Too painful. Yeah. Unbearable, not too painful, unbearable. Yeah. And I think this is something that happens that I've experienced recently, people being stuck because it's, we're talking about eating disorder behaviours, stuck in that behaviour, exhausted, depressed, tired, wanting to change, yeah. wanting to move on, terrified to move on, because they have to kind of change their story and they don't fully know their story, even though it's not a story. And But the pain of taking that defence away, even just a little bit, I was talking to someone the other day because they're really stuck in being anorexic. I was saying... When you restrict your food so much and you haven't eaten for years and the whole th kind of the role, if anorexia is a character, kind of press the pressure pushes you down, pushes you down, pushes you down, contains you, makes you t very tiny and small. So you've got nothing. As soon as you start to release a tiny bit of that pressure, maybe challenge that thinking, challenge that defense. It's it's awful. Yeah. And you don't know who you are. And what else have you said in, in your piece? That sounds really interesting. I've said disarm your defences gently, that they are pure in heart and intention. Um, what they would really like is a break because they're exhausted. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want to go on holiday <laughs> to a local campsite, somewhere peaceful. <laughs> and that they need just gentle handling and oodles of love. Mm. We did this kind of post about it. So do you believe that with love eventually defences can be poor by poor um, brought at least if not down but brought slightly away enough yeah I do hmm. loving kindness hmm. that's the 
the substance that that melts. Mm. But it, um, I, yeah, and it's not about bringing your defenses down and getting rid of them. It's about bringing them on board and giving them maybe something else to do. Or you see, the thing about defenses is that they, that they defend. That's their role. So what happens when there's nothing to defend? They feel left. So you have to. You have to give them. You have to send them on holiday. Let so them go have a break. It's transmutation, yeah, rather than um, chuck them out. Yes. So yeah. you bring them on board as part of the team. Yeah. Before we have a quick break. Yeah. Because I'm going to use myself as a specimen. Oh God. When you first met me and did my chart, could you see how defended I was? Oh yes, Gemma. Defended, and I think the word that would be uh, that I. Uh, would choose about you, but two words would be anxious control. So that uh, that was very obvious that you were very very anxious and that you tried to control the entire universe as your way of um, just trying to make sure that everything was where you left it five seconds ago. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. Yes. We're going to have a quick break. Oh, good. <laughs> Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with the delightful Raina James Reinstein. I don't know why I just said your full name then. I think because it's such a great name to say. It's a great name. When I met Mike, I was just Raina James. Yeah. And then we wrote no down one. his name and my name. Yes, no one. Exactly. <laughs> I wrote down his name and I jokingly said, oh, we should get married. And we both laughed. <laughs> and then, my God, we did. So uh, be, I would never have taken his surname, you know, why bother, yeah. if he'd been called Blinkinsop. But <laughs> but Raina James Reinstein, it just has that... Oh, it's it. well stylish. Oh, lovely. It, it really is. <laughs> so what, what were we talking about? It, because I could just quite happily just turn the microphones off and we could just have a good old chin, chinwag. But we're going to chinwag and try and keep it on track. So we were talking about my anxiety and my need, desperate need to control. And I think it's very good that people hear about this because I don't have that now. Whereas maybe if you said to me 10, 15 years ago, your anxiety, I've gone, what are you talking about? Mm. I don't know why I did that accent. Or my <laughs> desperate need to control. I would have felt that, you know, internal mm. clenching and resistance. And on the outside, I might have gone, yes, of course, I agree with you. Inside, gone, I don't know what she's talking about. Mm. I don't want to talk about this. Mm. It's all gone. It's such a relief when it goes, when you, you can stand your defences down with encouragement and support. But do you never find, because if you really never do this, I want your secret, mm. do you never find that you're just edging into having to control things? Oh, all the time. Oh, fine. Good, yeah, thank course. God for that. Okay. But it doesn't destabilise me. Good, that's the point. And I have a husband, so I can shout at him. Yes. And make out that it's his fault. Yes. <laughs> And um, then not see anyone for two weeks and just go, yeah, the world doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah, of course. Fine. Of course. But it was it was all consuming. My point is, is that yeah. you learn to contain everything, yeah. don't you? And hold everything. You do. Okay. I also had a healer who, when I, who I still see who also said to me when she first met me, she just said, you're all about resistance. Ah. So there you go. And how did she negotiate that with you? She just said it to me. Okay. And I went, I know. And inside I went, really? Because I was gone further on. Mm. I didn't go, oh. I just went, oh, am I? Is it that obvious? Mm -hmm. So you could see me, you could see my behaviour in the planets, the anxiety, the control. What do I want to talk about? What do I want to say? So if someone came to you and they had, 
it was clear what was going on to you with their psychology, their mental health, for want of a better phrase. It's something that you wouldn't bring up unless they alluded to it. It depends what it is. If it was something that I saw that looked as if it was very uh, delicate, something about, for instance, anorexia or um, abuse or... um, Bulimia. Bulimia, areas where I, I wouldn't feel that I should tread. I would wait for that person to tell me. I will always bring up things like control and anxiety and talk about that. But when it edges into um, compulsive behaviours, then I'm very, very cautious not to bring it up. I wait for them to say, because I don't want them to feel that I've taken a battering ram to the castle door. Yeah. It's not appropriate. Is there a planet that's representative of shame and secrets? Not entirely alone. There are quite, uh, no, I could think of a dozen different right. setups that would be shame and secrets. No, there are lots of different approaches to that. And because having a reading with you is <clears throat> the links that you make to psychology, it's because you're very experienced and you've had a life, but how you interpret and then kind of illuminate what's going on for someone is quite extraordinary. Do you also have a strong sense of that client in that time that you're with them? Oh, yes. That might not necessarily have happened when you'd looked at their chart? And All the time. Is that how, That's how you work, isn't it? Completely. I, I don't... Uh, there, when I was first training, people would be encouraged to write reports and not necessarily to meet the client, but, you know, do a six-page report and send it off and so on. Uh, never been my way... It's a living thing and in conversation, things happen. I don't want to tell anyone. I want to have the conversation. What happens if and what happened then and who is this to you and why is that? And uh, of of course I am, uh, hopefully I do this gently, giving advice Mm. and and not being too prescriptive. Mm. But I really love that... uh, the building, the building of the relationship as we speak, based on what I'm looking at in the chart and what the person is able to or willing to tell me. Also, it's just another way of looking at one's life, isn't it? And why just, we're here yeah. and what we're doing. And I remember you said something to me, and like I'm being really casual here, I remember it clear as day. You said to me that I was born into fear, or that's what I came in with me. My main Did theme I? was fear. How can you see that? Well, because the uh, if your moon, and it was, was quite um, uncomfortably positioned, it suggests that, and I'm not going to give you an astrology tutorial here, but that during your uterine experience, that your mother was probably very anxious okay and was not in a comfortable state you know you would imagine and wish that the uterine months would be from consciousness anyway from about you know the fourth fifth month on i don't mean consciousness in the clinical sense yeah uh, that that period would be blissful 
and that you would just be floating about in the amniotic fluid thinking, wow, I never want to leave here. Uh, but for some people it's whoa, whoa, because the mother is giving them such uh, unwittingly, hopefully, such a lot of anxiety and fear or anger or whatever the mother is feeling. Yeah. That uh, I'm, I don't know if this is clinically true, but the soup I imagine that the amniotic fluid becomes with everything that the mother is discharging into her system would be pretty threatening. Ah, so there may be intermittent blow moments, brr, intermittent moments mm. of bliss, but that there would also be some really tricky moments of the baby utterly unknowing. But f feeling at cell level, God knows how this works. Yeah, well, we don't know, do we? We haven't got it. We don't know. We have no idea what we're doing here with the wise wherefores. Really, no. we don't. But at a cellular level, the baby interpreting this chemical yeah. overload yeah. as, I don't like this. Right. I imagine. What um, planets represent the mother and the, the, moon. the moon? The moon. The mother. Can we talk about the impact of the moon on someone's chart yeah. and the relationship between the mother? Yeah. Can you say a bit more about that? Because yeah. it's one of your big things, isn't it? It is. But you do the dad as well, the father. I, of course. But the mother, uh, I find the those first years with the mother, the father obviously is relevant, but those first few years, the first two years with the mother are just so utterly crucial. Um, even the first month with the mother is crucial. So that sense of being on the earth... Um, having achieved some level of separation, but now you are utterly at her mercy because, or if she's alive. If she's around. If she's around, or you're utterly at somebody's mercy yeah. in order to live. So you are no more than a tiny baby mouse right. in the sense of being helpless. Mm. So that first time with the mother, uh, astrologically, the sign the moon is in will tell you a great deal. The aspects that the moon makes, that means the relationship between the moon and other planets, will also tell you a great deal. And the house that the moon is in, that's an area on the chart that describes a certain part of life. The self, others, work, home, school. So where the moon is will also tell you a lot about the mother. So the description of the mother on the chart is via the moon, and the description of her interaction with you will be via the moon's interaction with other planets, as well as the sign and house that the moon finds itself in. So if someone doesn't know what time they were born, and they... Mm. The moon goes through a sign roughly every two and a quarter days, okay. two and a third days. So with luck, the moon will be in the sign you're hoping for. If someone doesn't have a birth time and the moon could be between two signs because it will have moved on that birthday into the next sign, then you've got two signs to choose from. Then you talk to the client and get the client to describe the mother and that will normally help you. So even if the mother's absent, not alive, uh, doesn't know the mother... Who mothered the baby? Who mothered the baby? Was that it a, a nanny? Was it a nun? Was it the father? Was it an older sister? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Who mothered the baby? That's the point. Wow. 
Wow. And what about the father? Then the father comes in more, uh, he'll be around, of course, from the beginning. I mean, yeah. on the chart, yeah. whether he's absent or present. Yeah. But the father tends, hopefully, in, in a happy family. God, show me one. The father... <laughs> no, wait. You, okay. must have, you must have clients who have yes. a great... There yeah. are some. There are people who have really, really uh, uh, a happy family. That sounds. It's the card game. No, uh, who have parents who are more conscious, more kindly, more aware. There are people like that. Do you think they are more aware and more conscious now than say forty, fifty years ago? No. Don't you? No. It's very interesting. You'd imagine it, wouldn't you? You would. What do you put that down to? Uh, well, you take a sample of all the people you know. Okay. And just Fair think, enough. Uh, think whether if they had a baby now, they would be more conscious in the way they bring that baby up. Depends how much work you've done on yourself. Exactly. Depends how conscious you are. Exactly. I interrupted you because we were talking about the... Father. Oh, the father. Mm. The father, you would hope, comes in a little bit later. Now, Freud, Anna Freud, uh, I can't remember who defined, but there's a very good moment, mm. and I've forgotten it, when the <laughs> we're father... We're, yes, because no, one never trained, you know, so one has forgotten indeed, what one indeed. never learned. Quite. Uh, there's a moment when the father needs to step in and separate the child from the mother. Doesn't that happen in adolescence, or you, does that happen... I think it can happen before, ah. but I can't remember when. Because there's a whole school of thought about the mother psychically needing to let the child go around 13, 14, yeah. particularly if that child is, we have to say, like representing themselves as a boy. Oh, yes. Okay. What's that like, that attachment between the boy and the mother, if that doesn't work out? Does that... How mother, does that... Oh, it's... Sorry, interrupting you. No, go. Uh I find this so interesting. It's almost true all the time. It isn't always, but it's so almost always true that you can have a mother come to you with a son and a daughter chart. Yeah. And the son will be um, cosseted and cared for and protected. And the daughter will be being trained to have a life, to get out there, to be successful, to do stuff. And I don't know when that changed. Because obviously daughters, uh, when I was a girl, were being trained only to be possibly manicurists and um, and have babies. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's very interesting how mothers tend to protect their boys and train their daughters to have a life. And I've seen it so often that I'm now surprised when I don't see it. Fascinating. Mm. Because the does, is it because the mother implicitly knows and understands that the boy is still more privileged, and the girl is going to have to work harder. We are talking loosely here. Yeah. Do you think it's about that? That would be politically right delightful. You think it's about the mother not wanting to let the boy go? Yeah, but and some... wanting the daughter to live the life she didn't have. Right. Uh, often, I think that can happen. Can you see on someone's chart when the mother's very critical? Oh, yes. Uh, you can see when the mother is critical, over-devoted, um, uh, neglectful, loving but hopeless, um, super bright and unavailable, super bright, available and loving, love those, 
when the mother wants the child always to be happy because she can't take on any more. Right. So she expects the child to what I call tap dance for right. her so that the child goes, I'm fine, mummy, <laughs> rather than ever saying to mummy, I can't take any more, knowing that mummy couldn't hear it. Ah, uh, I might uh, relate to that. Mm, that's not your chart, but no, I, but I can yeah. see that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Keeping secrets from mummy in order not to upset her. <gasps> that's me. That's you. Yeah. Which... Le- which then gets converted, I think, into, well, I'm not sure if it gets converted into shame or if the shame is behind the secrets anyway, but will then very easily get converted into bulimic behaviour, particularly that, you know, consuming, consuming that all desperate need to take everything in, to have it, and then it's in and you have it and, and immediately you have to get rid of it because you can't digest any of it. Yeah, and it's toxic. It's toxic. <clears throat> what about you and your mum? Did she ever know about your situation? Oh, yeah. And what did she say? Oh, Raina, we've only got about 25 minutes. <clears throat> <laughs> well, she was very upset about it, concerned that it was something to do with her, very angry because she found me throwing up at home. And she was very angry about that. Then she took herself off to be trained as... Oh, she did some training around... Sorry, Mum, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> she did some training around um, eating disorders and became kind of like a counsellor, but not a full-on counsellor, which I was furious about because she was invading my territory because I felt I didn't have any privacy when I was growing up. She was very, very upset about all of it. So I lied about it for years and we kind of touch on it a bit now, but not really. I don't really want to talk about it with her. And also my mum has her own food issues. She doesn't eat very much. But obviously she would never say that. She'd just say, well, it just upsets my stomach. Mm. <laughs> so I think she was mortified. And my mum loves me very much. So she would have been, I don't think she could understand it. And then none, and no one else in my family could understand it. No one told my dad. We'd never lived with my dad, but no one told my dad. So he was angry again that no one told him or included him. He was cast out of the Victorian era, so no one would have told him anything anyway. And everything just got talked about behind my back. Mm -hmm. Gemma's not better because she's raided the cupboards again or she ate everything when she came to stay or we found sick in the toilet, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, and still to this day, no one talks about it. And now I don't need to and I don't want to, but, um, yeah. Are you glad that you were truthful or do you wish you hadn't been? Um, I don't think of it like that. It's hard to remember all those conversations. I guess I am. Well, this is being really truthful, isn't it? This is really outing myself. Yeah. As I didn't talk about it to friends or a little bit, but not very much. Not to the extent that I do now and the detail. Now that I'm so removed from it all, I'm able to see and feel what was going on. But I was so stuck in those emotional experiences and caught up in those positions and views that I could never see a way out. So, yeah, I am glad I was truthful about it. I was never truthful with anyone. But you know about my eating issues, not ever. Not my mother, certainly. Never would ever. And never with any friends. How did your mum eat? Um, when she was sober, she was an alcoholic. When she was sober, she was a wonderful cook. And 
Otherwise, uh, she would have Guinness for lunch because it's very nourishing. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was. Didn't they used to give it in hospitals? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Don't you start. <laughs> I'm with your mum there, Raina. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't eat much alcoholic stone. Wow. So, you know, no, she didn't eat that much. But she was just a very fine cook when she could. How interesting. Oh. Okay. Where are we? Yeah, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm here with Raina. You see? Didn't say your surname. No, that was good. <laughs> so in the break, what are we talking about? We're talking about... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about... I said to Raina, can you say anything general about star signs? And she said... In what way? And I said, well, that, you know, someone might be listening to this going, well, I'm a, I'm a Libra. And she said, no, you can't. You can't be general. She said, I can talk about what you can't say. Well, not so much what you can't say as what you shouldn't say. What you shouldn't say. So there are key words, which is how astrologers begin to learn mm. for all the different signs. Mm. But if you think that a chart has, uh, I'm going to be super smart ass now, the sun and the moon and Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto... All on your chart, yeah. and you've then got the 12 signs, habited or not, and the, the 12 houses, yeah. and the order that they're all in and the connections they make to each other. So if I say to you or you say to me, I'm a Taurus, I could say, well, that's great, and I bet you've got a lovely voice and you're a good dancer. And you're very stubborn. And you're very stubborn. Which I am. <laughs> and so am I. <laughs> uh, we could just sit here not saying anything for the next 10 minutes. Uh, so, yeah, you can be general a bit. Okay. But you certainly need to be careful how you're general uh, because there are so many, uh, so many what? How would you describe this? I'm thinking of a kaleidoscope. Beautiful. It's a kaleidoscope. Yeah. Lovely. And you can't pinpoint any one thing. You have to learn how to negotiate the pattern that they're making and how that turns into a person. Because, of course, a chart is a moment in time and space. And it can be the birth of a hotel, a goldfish, a new musical, mm-hmm. a person. It mm-hmm. can be loads of different things. So how you interpret that as a person and the life, what they have lived. So if somebody comes to me who's used that chart in order to become an astrophysicist, yeah, actually they probably wouldn't have come to me then, that would be <laughs> one sort of person. But that person might have used that chart to become a, um, a ballet dancer or, um, or live on the streets. I don't know until I see that person, what they've done with what's on there. Which doesn't change, does it? It's what you do with it. It's like your chart doesn't change. Well, the cycles move on so that Uh, growth occurs. uh, But your fundamental self is the self that was born, Gemma, with your physical body, your Mm. hair, your eyes, Mm. uh, your skills. Mm. You can add to them, but you can't suddenly become... Um, I don't know, Kate Moss, because you're Gemma. Yeah. You're not going to ever look, you could dye your hair. It's not, you know what I'm saying. You are who you are. (laughs) I think you're very beautiful. Uh, Just stop. Just stop. (laughs) (laughs) So what's, as you were talking there, but what's your, what is the demographic of your clients? And are there general themes that people come to you with? And are there similar stories that you're like, wow, this is still current or has it changed in the last 10, 15 years? 
the last 30 years. No, amazingly enough or not, the human condition seems to bob along uh, pretty well in the same place so that uh, women are still looking to find ways to express themselves in a very male world Mm. and it's still difficult Mm. and there is still um, a whole issue around how you can be a wife and a mother and uh, successful at work that never happens to men Mm -hmm. isn't the problem. So that hasn't changed. We might like to think it has because women can now, you know, get rat-arsed and, you know, it's a lot of things haven't changed. So that level of female, um, what would be the right word here? That level of female uncertainty about your right to take on something that you might be labelled as selfish for, Uh whereas it wouldn't occur to a man. Uh huh. Does that make sense? It to makes you? complete sense. I'm also t- thinking that you mm. can have it all if you have staff, and I'm not oh, being facetious. No, and finance. It's about finance. Of it's course. about your economic situation, Absolutely. and your mental state. And if you have another woman to look after you and yeah, your home, exactly. Right? So down the line it goes. So the women, amount of women who say I'd love a wife in that very yes. traditional sense. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's that. That's a very common issue. Uh, a lot of crossroads. Uh, So I'll say, and why are we speaking? And the person will say, I'm at a crossroads. That's as normal as normal. And that's why they've come to me, because they might have a contract to go to America, Mm. or they might be about to get married, Mm. or they might, etc. So crossroads are a big thing. I've got a load more women than men on my books. Because? I think it's the same in all areas of self seeking. Right. Self-seeking sounds selfish. I don't mean self-seeking selfishly. Areas where people are trying to explore themselves. I think men still find that very difficult. And I've got probably in my filing cabinets, one full drawer of men and three cabinets of women. Wow. So many, many more women than men. What's what's the theme with men? Uh, Work. Yeah. Sometimes loneliness. Um, a lot of gay men who are trying to find ways of negotiating relationship. That's very interesting. Um, a lot of gay women, but men are more likely to come to me. Why is that? I've got more gay men than straight men on my books. I have no, no Isn't idea. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Rhetorical question. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. Perhaps more willing to explore. I don't know. So there's that. Um, And men often for work, that's a a biggie for men. And what do people struggle with? Because we were talking about this, weren't we? That you can be so caught up in your pain and your suffering. Yeah. Which you run as a story and a narrative. This happened, then this happened. They said this, they did this, then this event happened. Totally traumatised. But it's done. The events happened. The stories happened. It is just a story. What you're left with are the feelings and the emotional resonance and the, the the upset to the systems, which loosely is a loose definition of trauma and how much is buried either in your, well, there's going to be some in your conscious mind, obviously, yeah. some in your subconscious and then in your unconscious. And your unconscious is feeding everything, but you don't know. Yeah. What am I trying to say? What are the, 
the main things that people are in so much pain about or suffering about because you think this is my pain, this is my suffering, the depths of it are unknown. No one has any understanding. And yet next door, your next door neighbour is sitting there going, I have so much pain, I have so much suffering. You know, no one understands the depths of it. Yes. What are we all at? That's what I'm trying to say. What are we all going this is terrible and we can't talk about it because we're so ashamed at our vulnerability, our loneliness, our, well, I guess loneliness it's is a big loneliness. one. Loneliness, oh God, loneliness. Loneliness within marriage, loneliness within uh, isolation and no marriage, loneliness because the partner is never appropriate. The door just opened like a ghost in Raina's house and she's just closing it. You said to me once, about having a polite marriage, yes. which made my blood run cold. Oh, polite marriage, yes. So loneliness in, mm. in marriage, in... Loneliness in relationship, loneliness at such a deep level, occasioned, I would imagine, by very early neglect, so that the expectation is of loneliness, because once you've barricaded yourself against the possibility... Been, I've seen very young babies who are already cut off, who've already decided that, you know, it ain't going to happen, so I might just as well cope myself. What, you mean from their chart? Um, yeah. Wow. So um, I'm coping because it sure as hell isn't going to come from outside. And that coping stance, which can become belligerent, but it can also simply be a desperate sense of being absolutely adrift cut off from your spaceship and just out there. And how you come back from that into safety and trust. Trust is such an issue. Trusting that someone isn't going to just take your heart out of your chest with a bread knife and chuck it at the wall. You know, how people have to learn or can learn if they... I'm always suggesting people go to therapy. Yeah, you are. But a lot of people don't want to do that. And also... Yeah, there's a there's a lot of therapists out there, but you have to find the right therapist because if you don't have the right therapist, yeah. then you can do all the therapy in the world. It's not going to happen. It's That's not about right. the model. That's it's right. about the relationship. Absolutely, Gemma. And not everyone has the financial wherewithal. Yeah. To 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 buy that support. That's yes. what you're doing. You're buying it. There are places where you get the NHS is hopeless because you get six weeks. And that's all, uh, but that might set you off. There are charities that will give therapy a very vastly reduced rates. But yeah, sometimes... It's not common parlance, is it? It really isn't. And you are absolutely right that it's the relationship with the therapist which is the first step in making a trusting relationship with another human being. Yes, a benign other, yeah. as I was taught. Yeah, a benign other. The benign other, or the benign father. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So, also, is there a common theme? Are we kind of drawing to... Are we drawing to the end? Trying to focus here. Yeah, we are. But the common... Is there a common theme of... It's a bit of a cliche, but it's true, of just not of just not being good enough, just not making the grade. Everyone else is making the grade, but I just can't quite get it. Oh, God, I've got clients who are so successful. Yeah. And they still feel that they're not quite good enough and that will be the propellant to more success but most sadly it never assuages the 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 fracture it just can't knit you together if you're not willing to go and explore why you've got the fracture in the first place 
How do you explore the fracture? You can do it through psychotherapy. Obviously, yeah. you can have a session with you, but you're not. A, you're, that's a one-off. That's, that's like a one twice off. a year. Yeah. How else can you do it in your life? Would you ad, ad kind of advise or suggest? If not through psychotherapy. Mm. Golly, I don't know because that's all that worked for me. Mm. And that psychotherapy then allowed me to make a loving relationship. Mm. And that has been the absolute bedrock of my life. Yeah. But I couldn't have done that without the therapy. Just couldn't have done it. Do you have younger and younger people coming to you? I'm always amazed and so grateful that I've got people coming to me who are really young, really young, uh, because their parents suggest it, you know, wow. 18, 17, 18. Uh, 16's my cutoff. I think it, I, I don't do below 16, but yeah, I'm very lucky. And the problems for a very young person are the same. How am I going to get on at school? How will I make friends? Have I got a boyfriend? Uh, you know, what will my job be? Uh, my parents, very difficult to talk about parents with a younger person. Yeah. But you just tread in gently and say, you know, how do you feel about and what does that feel like? And it must be lovely or difficult or whatever. But yeah, I've got people... Uh, in their late 70s and people in their teens. In Okay, before we wrap up, this is a bit of a curveball, but um, I know what you're going to say. Curve it at me. So if you're in your late 70s... What's the point? No, <laughs> not at all. Okay. Not at all. And, and maybe, would, does anyone ever come to you and say, can you do my death chart? Oh, no. When you're alive. No, nobody's ever asked that. I think people are, you know, I would say, I'm afraid I can't. I, there are ways that it can be done, apparently, but I have no idea what they are because um, I'm not afraid of dying, but I am most certainly afraid of the people I love leaving before I do, and I don't want the skill in order to find out when. But I do do charts of people who've died. I know, because you've done... I know. Yeah. Fascinating. Which is fascinating. It is. Because it's a birth of the next life. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. I know, amazing. You see, I've got probably all this stuff that I will go, oh, I forgot to ask her that. Why didn't we talk about that? I'm just looking at my piece of paper here. Is there anything else I want to ask? Yes, have you noticed any shifts post-pandemic? We have to ask that question. In people's anxiety or... Um, Malaise. A lot of people were more frightened than I could have believed by it. Uh, so fearful. Oh, yeah. But I think that's if you were that fearful to begin with. Yeah. So you you you're going to be that fearful if someone in the room's got a cold. Yes, you know? exactly. So I think people who aren't that fearful of invasion, of uh, illness, of losing control, that those people will be how were you how fearful were you me yeah no I was delighted great because I didn't have to go out or meet anyone I know oh. I said I've said that before and I apologize for people who had a terrible time no goodness I punched the air and went thank god for that wonderful well done yeah yeah is there anything you'd like to add no except that um it's really lovely talking to you I know I love you so much but we have a final question go on then if you were going to an island, any kind of island, you have a store cupboard, 
seasoning, olive oil, etc. Any kind of climate, what five foods would you take with you? Okay, so are we looking at the... Um, Take whatever you want. Yeah, okay, cheesecake. Okay. <laughs> uh, what kind of cheesecake? I'm not going to last on this <laughs> island. I might as well pick myself out. Yeah. I'm going to have cheesecake and trifle. Okay. Avocados, because I love them. Mm-hmm. And uh, cheesecake, trifle, avocados. And uh, uh, this is really, really bad, okay? I probably hate it now. That is Scotch Angel Delight. Oh, that we used... My... Um, my godfather's wife used to make that in the 70s and then put bits of crunchy in it. I thought oh, it was very exotic. Yes, it was at the time. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> okay, shall I have one more thing? Uh, can I cook them? Eggs. Yes. Well, how do you cook your eggs? Uh, different ways. Omelettes, hard-boiled. Okay, okay. I'll find a way. And what kind of cheesecake was it? Oh, uh, proper Jewish cheesecake. Okay. Uh, lemon, sultanas, <laughs> on a biscuit base, the whole thing. Can you see I'm <laughs> dribbling? <laughs> Raina, thank you so much for coming on Love This Food Theme Podcast. Thank you so much for asking me. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram, at Love This Food Thing or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. Catch you in the next episode.